This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 117 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you with the generous support of Charles Owen, Equestrian Collections, and Horseshow.com. Chris Stafford, and joining me on the show this week is my friend from down under, Brett Parbury, who's been a bit of a globetrotter. Hi, Brett. You're back home now. Yeah, hi, Chris. Back home, back into the cold Australian winter, and um, just spent the last six weeks in Europe, so two of those weeks are in the south of France, so I'm very relaxed and (laughs) and, uh, feeling good. (laughs) Kicking back, enjoying the wine, and I'm, I'm sure it wasn't too strenuous being in the south of France. No, it was absolutely beautiful. The weather was perfect and the shows were perfect. I've never been to French shows before, but I must say I'll be definitely going back to them in the future because they, the, the French um, show committees and the people were just fantastic and the venues were great. So definitely going to add some French shows to my, my competition schedules in Europe. That sounds like a very good plan. We'll talk a little bit more about what you've been up to, Brett, but we should mention on the show this week we're going to be talking to Tony Venhouse, who's Secretary of Dressage New South Wales. I know that you had a show just this past weekend, so we're going to be joined by Tony to talk about some uh, more dressage news from down under because I don't know if I mentioned this to you Brett but Australia now is our second largest audience here on the dressage radio show after the states how about that oh that's fantastic I didn't know that that's great I mean that shows the the interest in the sport in in Australia it's um you know we might be on the other side of the world but we have a very strong supporter base and I can vouch for that you know riding in Kentucky when you ride in there and you you ride out and you saw all the um, wonderful people cheering you on. You look in the grandstands, I could say there's a great majority of those are Australians. So, you know, they're prepared to travel, they're prepared to get behind us. So it's great to know that they're um, they're interested in listening to your show. Well, it is exciting. We're going to hear more about what's happening down there, which obviously is a growing um, sport in the equestrian world down there, and, and uh, in, particularly in, in New South Wales, obviously, because you have the geographical challenges that we do here in the States. So We'll hear all more about that when we talk to, to Tony, who's been on the show before, actually, and whose husband is uh, Franz Venhaus, who, uh, who is an important man in his own right, too. But we'll hear more about that in just a second. But let's uh, talk about what you've been up to, Brett, since you were last on the show. You took off for Europe, as you said, gallivanting around uh, France, enjoying the wine, but your reason for going back was, of course, to catch up with your other ride, Lord of Loxley. Yeah, yeah, I think last time we spoke... I was just about to leave to go to, to Europe and the whole purpose of the trip was to go back and get to know Lord of Loxley a little better. He's in training with Edward Gull and take him to some shows. Edward, with his busy schedule, just can't get a chance to to duck off to shows with the horse So and, and he's got his own sponsorship commitment. So um, the idea was to go to the shows, you know, go through the whole process, put him on the truck, travel, new stables, uh, new arenas, and the whole goal was to train the Grand Prix movements in training, but then compete small to us so we could just go into a, uh, an environment where there was no pressure to compete. And I must say, I couldn't be happier with him. He, um, all the Grand Prix stuff that we trained was, was solid. And to be honest, even at, at Hickstead at the last show, Dane Rawlins dangled a carrot in front of me and said, would you like to get a personal invite into the three-star Grand Prix? 
and I slept on it overnight and I came back to him the next day and said, look, I, you know, and I ran it by Richard Davidson actually and Richard said, look, just stay professional. You're here to do the small tour. Do the small tour, even though you think you might be able to do the Grand Prix. So um, it just goes to show that even people like Dane, the show organisers, were thinking maybe we should give Brett a chance in the Grand Prix with the horse because he actually was working very nicely. Um, so he's really... You know, we call it ticking the boxes. I mean, we bought him in March last year and have been ticking boxes ever since, and he keeps coming up to scratch. So the next goal for him, uh, and what I've set as a goal, is to try and get back to Europe at some stage this year, which, you know, when I look at our show schedule between now and the end of the year, it's quite busy, but I'd like to get back there at some stage to try and get him into some Grand Prix so that when the calendar clicks over into next year into 2012 we've got a few Grand Prix starts under our belt and we can really give him the best shot because um, you know I still got Sam victory salute and he's still my number one horse but it'd be nice to have another strong horse in the process because at the end of the day we really want to arrive in London with the best Australian team we can get and um, it'd be a sad thing to know that we have a good horse here that's not getting the best chance so that's the that's the plan now, he's still in Europe, is he? You're going to leave him there? Yeah, we'll leave him there. I mean, it's it's very difficult to have two Grand Prix horses in any one country other than Europe. Um, simply, that's the FEI rules that CDIWs, you can only have one Grand Prix horse. So um, it makes it hard to have two Grand Prix horses in the one country. So it's best to leave him there and, and let Edward train him. Um, and I must say, Edward, I mean, Edward's doing a great job, as you'd expect. It, but you just can't beat that one-on-one contact you can have with a horse. And the longer I was with him, the more of a partnership we were forming. Um, and I'd love to have him here, but the reality is you really can't have two Grand Prix horses in the one country and, and give them both the CDIW starts um, other than Europe, where you're doing you know, the CDIWs every month. So when do you plan to get back to Europe then, Brett? Well, that's the that's the hot topic at the moment. I, I don't know because the only real chance I'll get would be after our state championships, which is in the start of September, which if I wanted to go with the show schedule I'm looking at, um, that would put me back in Australia only 10 days before our national championships. And our national championships are very important for us because it's our chance to qualify Australia into the Olympic Games. So I don't want to take any risks there. Um, Rachel Senna and myself were talking on the weekend and we really want to... That's that's our next focus, is to make sure that we perform well at the Nationals so that we get Australia a team spot at, the, at London. So I don't really want to gamble a good or a bad performance there, <clears throat> but I do need to give this other horse a start. So I'm just not sure what to do because I was thinking of going back and doing a national show in Sky in Holland and then then uh, putting him on the truck and going up and doing Oslo in Norway and then flying back but then, like I said it only gave me 10 days to get victory salute ready for a pretty important show so I'm yeah it's I knew this year was going to be tough and um, and it's proving to be I mean two weeks in the south of France is not tough <laughs> but um <laughs> But it is tough on owners and my family and and you know other horses that should be getting the best chance. So yeah, I'm not sure. 
whether I just go back and do sky and come back, which would only be a, a three week exercise as opposed to a six week one, I'm just have to just have to work it out. Well, certainly uh, clocking up the miles, the air miles there, Brett, uh, yeah. going back and forth. And now I know that you, you obviously you did that and you got back and you had a competition this past weekend. You mentioned in uh, in the right there in New South Wales. Uh, who did you ride there? Um, I had we had two competitions actually. There was the there was the one Tony is um is um very heavily involved in with Clarendon, uh, which is probably that would be our strongest domestic month-to-month competition and that really is the just just as New South Wales is the, the let's say the 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 heartbeat of Australian dressage um, so every month uh, we have a competition there and it's always good to go there because that gives you a good reflection on how you're you're going so I took a, a young medium uh, medium mare to that on the Sunday and on the Saturday I gave two uh, two of my younger upcoming horses their first pre and George start um, which was only at a competition not far from me, half an hour. And I'm um, very happy, very, very happy with all the horses. They all managed to get a blue ribbon and get some nice scores. So, yeah, my, my stable rider, um, David McKinnon, and my wife, Mel, they kept my horses going very nicely while I was away. So it's easy, it was easy for me to step back on them and take them to a competition. Very nice, very nice to come home with some blue ribbons too. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know while you were in Europe, you were able to watch a lot of the European contenders, therefore, that is for the European Championships that takes place uh, as we speak. They are in, uh, in, in Holland, of course, in Rotterdam, big competition and some hot competition, very, very exciting. It's just, just getting tougher and tougher to be in that elite group now. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that later on in the show, Brett, because I know you had some... Uh, perspective while you were there of how those horses were faring and what their prospects are this weekend so uh, we'll come to that a little bit later on but we do have one item of news uh, Brett that we need to share with you that uh, broke earlier this week and that is uh, a tragedy in uh, Holland and the loss of a Dutch dressage rider Danielle Katzman-Kendus who uh, sadly lost her life 35 years old and she was um, riding at home and fell off one of her horses and uh, died instantly. She was with the Tunica Bartles Academy for a long time there, and uh, she left behind three children. She was married to Kurt, to Gert Jan Katzman. Uh, a, a tragedy, Brett. I mean, um, it really has affected the community over there just at the start of the European Championships, and I know Ed Gall was tweeting about it, how his... And, and of course, Adeline Cornelis and all the Dutch riders and... and uh, and key as well. They're really struck mm. by this loss. No, oh, it's, it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, just reminds us the dangers of, of riding and um, absolutely terrible. And just, it's a horrible thing. Tinica Bartles is, and her team are very strong and um, very heavily involved with Rotterdam, with the show itself. And I know they've been heavily involved with bringing the European Championships to Rotterdam. Uh, so what a terrible way to start their week, which is would be a um, a very special week for them. So it's, it's horrible news. Absolutely. Well, our condolences to the whole family and to the uh, Dutch dressage community there. And uh, obviously, uh, not a, not a very cheerful start for the start of the European Championships. We're going to be talking about here later on in the show. But uh, before we do that, we're going to hear from Tony Van Haas uh, shortly. But uh, I want to first of all remind you of one of our 
contributing sponsors here on the Dressage Radio Show, and that is Charles Owen. They have uh, not just helmets that they're famous for, but they also produce gloves, and one of those is the Ruckel Chester lightweight, close-fitting glove. It's made from Vesta synthetic leather, and they provide a sensitive feel on the reins coupled with an excellent grip. And the Ruckel new Ascot glove is another stylish synthetic glove that comes with rain reinforcements and an elasticated wristband, plus a hook and loop fastening tab for adjustability. The back of the glove is breathable, which prevents the build-up of sweat. It's practical and hard-wearing, making it ideal for everyday use. And you can find out more about these gloves and all of the Charles Owen products, including their extensive range of helmets, on their website at charlesowen.co.uk. And we want to thank them for supporting the show. We wouldn't be here without the support of our sponsors. Well, Brett, uh, I think you could introduce our guest this week, Tony Venhouse, who was uh, almost a neighbour of yours, isn't she? Well, I mean, if you're within two hours of each other in Australia, you're a neighbour. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Tony and Franz Venhouse, I mean, often referred to as Mr. and Mrs. Dressage Australia because they really do put their whole life into the sport and without them we wouldn't have a sport. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Tony is a tireless worker and never stops and has been relentless in bringing up the standards of our shows. And... Um, yeah, so it's great to be on the same line as her. <laughs> Absolutely. Welcome, Tony. Well, I should say welcome back. You've been with us before here, and you're an avid supporter of the show, aren't you, too? Yes, I listen to it most weeks. I, I try and download on my my phone and listen to them when I go on walks, so um, I always enjoy them. Well, good. Thank you, and, and welcome welcome back. How are things with you in uh, New South Wales? And you, exactly, Remind us exactly where you are. As Brett says, two hours uh, between uh, you know, friends is, is really nothing in Australia. How, how, where, where exactly are you in relation to where Brett lives? Probably about two hours on the freeway, but we're in, in Sydney, of course, and in northwest Sydney, so we're in a pretty good location. It's fairly central in so much as it's very quick for me to get out to Clarendon where we have our monthly events and also to the equestrian centre where we run the, the big events. It's probably about 20 minutes on the M7. So it's um, it's quite a good location, but um, we're not exactly neighbours, but as Brett said, um, it's not that far away. It's not that far. It's all relative, isn't it? Okay, so now... As he said in in his introduction to you, you you do so many things and you are a driving force behind dressage in New South Wales. Tell us about the competitions you've just had and how often you have those, Tony. Well, Dressage New South Wales has its home grounds out at Clarendon, which is located northwest of Sydney, sort of in the foothills of the Blue Mountains near Richmond and Windsor. And we run every basically every month, not always um, each month because some months we've got other big events that we need to take care of and our focus sometimes is on those. But generally speaking, we run a two- or a three-day competition once a month at Clarendon. Uh, we run all levels through from novice through to Grand Prix and, as Brett indicated earlier, all of the top riders or most of the top riders use that as a benchmark to try and assess how they're going and how their training's um, progressing and to sort of see how they're doing with the top of the field because we do attract all of the top riders like Brett, Rachel Sanner and several others and um, 
if riders are going to progress to state or national championships, they need to see actually where they they may be scoring really well in the smaller shows and out in the regional areas, but they need to come together with some of the the more experienced riders and just see how they're doing. So um, we, um, we've just upgraded one of our arenas and we're just in the process of doing our other two competition arenas. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it provides a really good opportunity for riders um, at a local level, but the standard is a little bit higher than your regular competition. Well, you talk about the standard. You're growing the sport so much, and I know you keep an eye on things in Europe. You've just been to Europe. But was that for a vacation, Tony, when you went to Europe, or do you go to some shows as well and see what they're doing on the other side of the world? Well, it was a holiday. We, we went to Germany and also to we had two weeks in the south of France. But because we were there during Arken, we also went to Arken and um, spent four days or five days at Arken. So we were able to take the opportunity to um, to do that show. But that was the only horsey thing that we did uh, while we were away. The rest of it was purely holiday. Well, very nice. You're a bit like Brett, really. You know, he was off to the south of France on vacation, weren't you, Brett? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it seemed like a vacation. One horse. It was great. Well, you two know more than better than anybody what's what's happening with the growth of dressage down there and why it has become so popular. Brett, from a rider's perspective, why do you, why do you think there's this you know growing interest? Is it like any other sport that you know it's a bit like cricket? You know, if you're winning at cricket, you more kids play cricket. Is it that same kind of culture with 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 dressage? It does it raise its profile within equestrian sport generally because. You've had your successes at international level. I don't know, actually. I, I don't think it's international success. I think it's just the strong domestic um, competition scene that we have, and, and the fact that the sport is growing. People can see the sport is growing, and it's going somewhere. It's going places. Um, I mean, if people are interested in training horses, whether they're training for reining or or anything, really. I mean. Dressage appeals to them, and um, you know when we go to shows like Equitana and those bigger shows that have a number of the sports in the one under the one roof, you often see that the dressage is the biggest attraction, and you see a lot of the the cowboy hats and the different people watching the dressage masterclasses simply because deep down a lot of people are interested in dressage, and um, I think for a long time, I mean Australia is a funny place. We we've, we've got a bit of a a, um, a macho culture, I suppose, and um, a lot of people didn't see dressage as a macho sport. Um, but in saying that, those walls are being broken down, and I think people are seeing it now for what it is, which is a wonderful way to train your horse and just develop a relationship with your horse and learn more about training horses. And I mean, I thought I was a good horse trainer until I started doing dressage, and I realised. I knew nothing, <laughs> and um, and still know nothing to be honest. And just it's about it's just you're just learning more all the time, and you don't realise how much there is involved in training a horse. Ooh, yeah, so I me. think I mean I think it's just getting bigger and bigger, and I've seen it grow in the last ten or twelve years that I've been involved. I've seen the sport grow considerably here, and it, it will continue to grow. Well, Tony, I want to bring you back in now because you're in a obviously right right in the middle of things and got your finger on the pulse 
of the state of the sport there. Why do you think it's becoming so popular, you know, in that you are filling these classes? And as, as, as Brett said, you know, there's, there's an enthusiasm, a support for it, which has grown over more than a decade now. I can't really pinpoint why, why it's um, become so popular, but I think it probably has always been really popular because dressage, you know, forms the basis for, for all uh, of the Olympic disciplines. And we're finding that we're getting people that compete in eventing and even show jumping that are starting to do a little more, take their dressage a little more seriously. So a lot of those people are actually competing at the... Um, at the local events and I think that the fact that we have we're starting to build up a few stars in the sport a few people are getting a little bit of recognition perhaps not as much as in other sports like football but there is a little bit um, of a change sort of happening where there are some stars out there like Brett and I think that's had an encouraging sort of effect on on the younger people. The schools program perhaps is also influential. Uh, Equestrian Australia has started an inter-schools program, I don't know how many years ago, several years ago, and that perhaps is encouraging more people to continue on when they leave school instead of forgetting about horses, they're sort of continuing on and starting to take lessons. More and more people are starting to take lessons, which is really good. And um, and I think then, of course, once you do that, you then that leads into competitions, and then it sort of it sort of snowballs a bit. You know, one edge is on the other, and um, I, th- I just think, generally speaking, it's Australians have always loved horses and have had some sort of connection with them, and um, we're finding more and more people are starting to take more of an interest in in actually riding which is really good and it starts with the young people and then it goes through well brett you mentioned the national championships which are an olympic qualifier for 2012 london olympic games so when and where will they be held so they're at the end of october uh, the last weekend i think 28th to the 31st or somewhere around there i'm not good on dates (laughs) um and uh, they're at SIAC at our Olympic, uh, well, the legacy that was left behind by the Olympic Games, which is our number one venue in Australia um, for dressage. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how the format is going, but I know there's some New Zealand riders coming over, Tony. Is that right? Yes, they've got six, or they've indicated that they're going to be sending six Grand Prix horses. Obviously, they won't all be in the team, but that's six horses to compete in the CDIW, which is part of the regional team qualifier. Yeah, so then the New Zealanders will come over, and then the Japanese, um, I think, will do their leg of the the qualifier in in, um, Ermelo in Holland, together with if our selectors choose any Australian combinations that are based in Europe, they'll also do the the leg of it the week the week after our championships in Holland, which will be quite difficult because November that'll be November in Holland outdoors. Um, it's not the most pleasurable way to, <laughs> to compete, so um, we're quite lucky that we'll be doing ours in um, nice conditions and nice weather. Yeah, perfect time of the year for you guys. Well, getting uh, getting some nice temperatures there as uh, yeah. they get colder. Now, you've got so many riders based in Europe now. Just run through those Australian riders that haven't made it to Europe and have, have 
base themselves there, obviously with the, the idea of getting onto the team eventually. Well, unfortunately, we had a, an accident with Hayley Beresford um, and her horse passing away Relampago. So that removes Hayley from... Um, I think she has another horse, but I'm not exactly sure. But Hayley Beresford is based there. Uh, Linda Lotley, who is a strong... was a team member in Kentucky and is, has another strong chance of making the team for London. She's based there. Uh, and Mary Hannah is now in England, based with Kira... Kirkland and Richard White, and she has two horses, so she also is a strong contender. And um, that's it. I can't think of any others. Now, uh, Tony, I want to ask you about the competitions. As you said, you have so many competitions already um, on your schedule. What's coming up next for, for you in the next few weeks here? Well, the next six months really are really busy because we've got our state championships in September and Queensland also have their state championships, I think, early October. We then, at the end of October, we've got the national championships, which combines the regional qualifier and the CDIW. Then in two weeks after that, we have Equitana in Sydney, which it's the first time that it's been held in Sydney, so that's something... um, really interesting for for the people of Sydney. It's normally held in Melbourne every two years and that includes a CDIW as well. And then in December we've got the Victorian Championships and the Pacific League World Cup Final. So it's at that time of the year where all the championship events start to um, take importance and thrown in we've also got pony championships and that sort of thing happening. So there's, there's a lot to organise in the next um, four to five months and a lot um, for the riders to cope with too because they're going from from one to the other if they're travelling to all of these different events. So I'm guessing that Dressage New South Wales then organises these events and you have a team of volunteers. Are you a non-profit? Are you a charity uh, organisation, Tony? We are, we're not for profit. We're actually a disciplined council of equestrian New South Wales, um, so we come under their umbrella and we run the sport of dressage in the state of New South Wales. In other states they have a subcommittee that looks after the sport, but we're a little bit different in so much as as we started off as as a club basically and then we were asked to take over the running of the sport on behalf of Equestrian of New South Wales. So we have two sort of functions. We run regular events at Clarendon, which was where we started, and we also administer the sport. So as well as running our our regular events at Clarendon, we run the New South Wales Championships, but we've got a group of people that run that on our behalf and, you know, some of us are a little more involved. Some of our committee members are a little bit more involved with helping them run that event. We run the national championships currently and, of course, there are other events that we run, the Pony New South Wales State Pony Championships and, again, we've got a different group of people. There's always the same people, key members, I guess, that have to be involved um, in one way or another with anything that comes under our umbrella, but we do have different groups that sort of focus on those events and, but in the end, the... You know we're the the group that are responsible for it, but we are not for profit. Um, any money that we do make, we put back into our facilities, or we try and put back into the sport. 
by helping riders, um, you know, funding riders when they go away and, um, you know, we're just going to spend about another 120000 on our arenas at Clarendon and we've been able to do that through, you know, funds that we've raised over the years. So, um, yes, it all goes back into the sport. Well, clearly this is, a, you know, obviously a key state, as you said, New South Wales is uh, where so much dressage takes place down down under and, and you are breeding the next generation of potential team members. So you would hope, would you, to keep them down there and be able to give them a, a suitable launch into their career before they have to? Do you feel it's inevitable that they have to go to Europe at some point and, and base themselves there? Brett, I mean, I, you've done both and you've watched other riders, you know, permanently base themselves there. What would you say to young people coming into the sport in Australia and getting yeah. as much exposure there of, of to, you know, what to do next? I get a lot of inquiries like this and I, my advice is, they need to see Europe to see how tough it is and that it's not all about prancing around on fancy horses in white bandages, that it's actually hard work and and that they need to see what the end goal is but then come back to Australia and learn their craft from here because we have very good coaches and very good opportunities here with you know, you go to Europe, you can't compete so much. Um, here you can compete whenever you want, you know, to good shows with good surfaces, um, with good coaches. I um, I think the best way is to, to keep, to have a little glimpse at Europe, come back and work, go back to Europe, come back on short stints. But then when they, there's, there's nothing beats going to Europe as a client because you get much better service and you get looked after much better. And when I say that, that's either going back with a horse as part of a team or if people are in a financial position enough to be able to go back there on a training trip. But you really will get more out of Europe as a client than you will out of as being a worker. Um, and the rest of the time, I think they should stay here and be involved in the Australian system because we can really only grow the system here by being people being based here. And that's one of the reasons why we haven't decided to relocate or anything like that or adventure overseas with our business because we, we're happy being Australians and we want to stay here and try and grow the sport here. Yeah, very very good advice and I'm sure, uh, Tony, you would support that, wouldn't you? I think in the end for international at an international level, I think the competitors, the riders, they all need to get to Europe to compete against people um, at that top end of the sport because obviously there's a lot more there and there's a lot more that they can learn. And we've seen from all of the uh, our top riders that have ventured over there, they really do improve when they're put up against competing against those top riders. It brings out the best in all of them. We've seen it with Brett, um, all of the others. So I think it's inevitable. We're a small country. We're far away from from the heart of dressage and we need to be there if we're going to improve. Very interesting. Well, you obviously got uh, a lot on your plate right now, Tony. As you said, the next six months is the busiest time of your year. So where, where would people go to find out more about Australia uh, Dressage New South Wales? They can go to our website. It's uh, www.dressagensw.com.au and 
there are links on that web page to various events like the state championships, the national championships and um, pony events, that sort of thing. They can pretty much find what they need to find by looking at the various links and on the home page there's a couple of quick links on that as well. Terrific. Well, we, uh, of course, we'll put a link on our website at dressageradio.com so you can find out more about Dressage New South Wales. Well, Tony, thank you very much for joining us. I know how busy you are, and uh, good luck with the rest of your season down there. Okay. Uh, Brett, maybe there's something you perhaps might want to fill people in on is the this new initiative from Equestrian Australia for the National Future Squad. Future Squad, is, yeah, uh, that's this weekend. Yeah, yeah. that's... Yeah, that's uh, we've got New South Wales this weekend. I think they've got about thirty horses that have been um, that have nominated. So that's a new initiative from Equestrian Australia. It'd be interesting to see what happens with that. It sort of started out um, in eventing, and now they've expanded it to jumping and dressage. So basically, what happens is uh, competitors or riders can nominate their horses. The, the horses that are perhaps from at the not on our state or national squads. They're novice elementary level horses or lower. They have to submit their best three official performances. They're assessed on paper, I guess, and then they're invited to actually go to an assessment clinic, and um, which is in New South Wales this Saturday, and then the top ones actually go on to what's called a, a future squad. So there's information on that on the Equestrian Australia website, but that that's something that's be very interesting to see what actually happens with that. And I don't know, Brett may have had some involvement with it, I don't know. No, I haven't, um, but I have heard about it and it sounds like a very good initiative. It's virtually been put in place to stop horses falling through the cracks or to try and stop horses falling through the cracks, or combinations, I should say, falling through the cracks of um, of the, the attrition rate that goes with dressage and trying to help people with, you know, talent and um, and good horses to get to where they need to go which is to the top and that's it's just a, they're just trying to identify talent a little earlier and trying to get involved with people a little earlier than than the, the top the top squads the a and the um the, and the elite squad well all welcome initiatives initiatives of course to uh, grow the sport down there i want to thank you again tony for spending time with us this week and uh, keep us posted with any news that you may have thank you pleasure chris all right, well, our thanks to uh, Tony Venhouse, and we, uh, we're going to take a short break here before uh, Brett and I uh, continue the show. We've got uh, lots more for you. We're going to preview the European Championships, and uh, Brett's also got a tip for you coming up shortly here. But uh, before we get to that, I want to remind you about our sponsors, Equestrian Collections, because they have lots of uh, equipment and clothing for young riders. So if you're shopping for a young rider, then all you have to do is go over to equestriancollections.com and look at the choice they have there of riding apparel, footwear, gifts, helmets and safety gear for the young rider. And there's always great everyday and promotional prices too with an enormous selection from head to toe. So take a look at uh, the Young Riders Collection at equestriancollections.com and you can shop there at the Young Riders Department or in the Horse Department at equestriancollections.com. Equestrian Collections is a participating retailer of the Horse World Gives Back campaign. Well, Brett, um, I know you've got to, always got some good tips for us. This one this week is, I think, applies to just about everybody. We all need reminding about our position, don't we? Yeah, look, the position, the rider's position is such an important part of, of dressage riding and um, 
I just think that sometimes we overlook it as coaches and, and coaches overlook the position of the rider and focus a little too much on the way the horse is going. And I think that what I've seen coming just straight back from Europe and coming back to Australia is is we're probably taking our eye off the ball a little bit when it comes to the position of the rider. And I think people are also perhaps getting a little bit confused with a nice upright firm position as opposed to stiff being stiff in their body and not being a part of the horse and not working with the horse and um, I think you know the one thing that I always put through my mind when I start to when I sit on my horse and you know it becomes nature after a while to sit up nice and balanced and straight but at the end of the day you always ride better when you're relaxed and I always use the uh, vision that I try to sit onto my tailbone. I don't try to lean back, but I try to not sit to where my back is hollow, but try and sit onto my tailbone and really have the feeling that I'm sitting in the middle of the horse and I can take my left and my right upper leg off the horse and let it just drop down around the horse and feel like I'm on both seat bones and and with both legs relaxed equally around the horse and then having my lower leg on the girth on both sides and trying to keep that position through walk, trot, canter, half passes, piaf passage, it doesn't matter what what you're doing, you shouldn't change, you shouldn't grip with your knees or you shouldn't lean forward, you shouldn't tighten your back um, and the more relaxed you stay and the more you can stay in the middle, relaxed on both sides of your body with both legs relaxed and forward, staying back um, not leaning back, but just staying at the point of balance, the more naturally the position will happen for you. It's not a matter of sitting back and sitting up tall like you're um, in school, in class. It's more about staying back and relaxed and letting your body flow with the horse. And I always use this vision, staying back, feeling the back of the saddle, feeling my tailbone um, touching the back of the saddle, keeping relaxed, Staying up and then and then uh, trying to keep as naturally supple as I can. Um, and I think that's about as good as I can explain it over the radio without actually showing you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's the sort of way I keep. That's the that's the vision I have. And as soon as I feel tension creep into my body, whether I'm trying to do something on a young horse or whatever, I try to immediately identify it and and. And in the next second, try to relax that part of my body again that, that um, I'm not riding off strength or tension. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's a balance, isn't it? You know, that any, any one part of you, uh, can, they, the tension can creep in and you have to be very cognizant of it and, 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 and constantly think about what's going on with your core muscles, don't you? And, you know, yeah. It, it, and, it, it, go ahead. Soon, I was just going to say, as soon as tension creeps in, you get position, uh, positional faults, crookedness. Um, you then interfere the way the horse moves naturally. I mean, this sport is not about creating it from strength. It's about creating it from reactions and suppleness and balance. And we should ride that way. And if we're relying on strength to create something, we're not doing it properly. And the way the sport's constructed it usually will show up in Grand Prix. If you've, if you've produced amazing movement and uh, in a forced way, 
by the time you get to Grand Prix, it will come back to bite you. It, it has to be through the lower levels, true to the basics, which is supple, uh, reactive off your leg, reactive off your, your, your rain aids or your seat aids or whatever you're using. You have to create a reaction rather than a forced strong strength-related um, aid. And usually it's when we use strength or we get or we get tense in our body or we have resistance in our body is when we have a bad position. So the more we can stay back and stay relaxed and keep our lower leg underneath us, I always try to get people to think about keeping reference to the ground. So, you know, even though you're sitting on a horse, it doesn't allow us to lean forward or lean back beyond the balance that we would normally stand on our own two feet on the ground. Um and I always say to people, just keep a reference to the ground and how your body is positioned to the ground, and that will give you a good feeling of, of balance on your horse. And, uh, yeah, so I just think that's... If people can just try and remove the tension from their body and if they feel like they're relying on strength, and for sure, part of this, you will have to be momentarily strong in a, in a part to try and teach your horse to do something. But moment, there's a difference between being momentarily strong and always strong. And that's the different. That's where the horses show uh, show it up. You know, we all have to use a moment of strength somewhere in the in the system to get the horse to understand it or or to go through something. But then it should be back to relaxed again as a reward to the horse. And not forgetting, of course, uh, the breathing. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And just stay natural. Just stay back and stay natural. And 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 um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's so basic, but it's hard to do. You know, to, to say stay back, stay stay on your seat bones and stay in the middle of the horse, equal both sides, relaxed. Sounds quite easy, but it's hard to do. <laughs> over the centre of the balance more... and always being over the centre of balance, and uh, and remember that breathing because if your breathing is off, then you're off everywhere. It affects the diaphragm, it affects your core muscles, and you so often you hear of riders coming out of the arena, if jumping or dressage, and 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 breathe and taking a deep breath and they literally forgot to breathe while they were doing so they were the whole way yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) all right well good advice brett thank you very much for that well uh, i do want to remind you about one of our other sponsors here on the show that makes the dressage radio show possible and that is horseshow.com you can now compete online just like you were at a regular horse show you can get judged by the top judges and get the judges comments just upload your home video and enter a class online at horseshow.com it's a simple and economic way for you to compete with your horse from home it's also a great way to prepare for your next show or you can track your progress during the off season too Horseshow.com features real horse shows for multiple breeds and disciplines. It's judged by nationally accredited judges, and it's dead easy. And it's open anytime online. So upload, enter to win at any time at horseshow.com. Well, Brett, we've got a wow moment now. I don't know where you've been gone if you've heard about these wow moments that we have on the Dressage Radio Show, but we've got one coming up. They it's uh, my acronym for <clears throat> for words of wisdom, and uh, they're clips I take from old books, um, just to remind us of some of the great horsemen and women in the past, and some of their words of wisdom. So here's one for this week: that there is no exercise to be compared with horseback riding is conceded by all well-read physicians, as well as by all ladies and gentlemen who have given it a test. One has only to look at a person returning from a ride on the saddle 
to see at once the beneficial result. The tinge on the cheek and ruddy glow on the whole face and neck is a positive assurance of the fact. It will prove a sure cure for dyspepsia in its worst form if one will but persevere in the delightful recreation. But someone will say, Oh, I cannot ride horseback. It is too violent an exercise. And why? Simply because the attempt is made without any knowledge of the art, if it may be so called. The fundamental principle of the art of learning to ride is to learn one thing at a time and learn to do that well before attempting to do anything else. This extract is taken from Magna's Classic Encyclopedia of the Horse, published in 1887 by D. Magna. Well, Brett, um, before we go, we're going to talk about um, the European Championships. Don't forget, uh, and be, uh, I, I didn't want for you to, you know, I know you're, you've got a day ahead of you now. You're thinking about what horses you should be riding probably. It's morning for you. <laughs> but let me take you back to Europe before we end the show this week and give us a sense of uh, what you saw over there uh, preparing for the European Championships this week. Yeah, so the European Championships this week, they've all arrived in Rotterdam. Um, I'm looking at photos now on Eurodressage showing that the Rotterdam Arena looks outstanding. It's um, This competition will be very much a good indication on what's going to happen next year in London. Uh, people will be using this as a benchmark to see where everyone stands. I mean, it's no secret to, to know that the British are very strong and possibly favourites going into Rotterdam. Um, Carl Hester has two wonderful horses in his stable, one ridden by Charlotte, his stable rider, and the other ridden by him. Uh, Carl rides the horse Utopia, which is a stallion, uh, 10-year-old stallion by Matal, and was the recent winner in Hickstead. I was at Hickstead and got to see the Grand Prix. I actually, I actually commentated on the Grand Prix for the website and got to watch Carl do his test and um, oh, it's just an amazing horse he's like a little rubber ball he suits Carl to a tee um, Carl as you know is an amazing rider so they're <clears throat> consistently scoring high 70s into the 80s and then Charlotte Desjardin with Vallegro which is personally my favourite horse in the world at the moment he's a 9 year old by Negro um, and for me, I just absolutely love this horse. He's everything I like in a dressage horse. He's strong but light, um, very, very supple. Uh, it's no secret that he's a head shaker, um, and they've overcome that with, with training, and um, Charlotte has managed to, to create a, a relationship with him to, to bring him through that. They are... He's still, being a year younger than Utopia, still makes a little few mistakes in the Grand Prix, but the quality of the horse alone brings him up into the high 70s. Then you've got Laura B on Mr. Horace, um, who, you know, that is a wonderful combination. She is a good friend of mine, and she was at um, Arkin and had a couple of little mistakes, which I thought, were positive for her and, and, and her horse. And her, we had a good talk after her um, Grand Prix special, and I said, look, Laura, this is exactly what you needed. You don't need these things happening at the Europeans. You need them happening just before them so you can fix them. 
Um, and she took away a lot out of Arkin. So I can say that she would be at her best for the Europeans as well. So she's another one that can be in the high 70s, early 80s. So there's three out of four combinations that can be towards 80%, which I just can't get my head around that. You know, 12 months ago, we are in Kentucky and the Dutch were on top. And here we are 12 months later, and it's a completely different landscape. Um, we've got the German team now with Totalus, and Matthias is doing a great job with him. He's He uh, did a very, very good Grand Prix in Arken this year. And um, how that boy rides with the pressure that's on him, I do not know, but he's doing a fantastic job. And the whole of Germany is riding on the Totalus machine at the moment, and... and um, and rightly so, because, I mean, it is an amazing horse. Then you have Christoph Koschel with um, Donna Perignon, again, uh, and just a fantastic athlete. Uh, Helen Langen-Harnenberg with Damon Hill, again, new to new combination, but, but showing that Germany's growing their sport and, and um, another elastic, uh, beautiful horse. And then you've got Isabel, and I just don't know which horse Isabel will be taking. I think El Santo, or I just saw a photo of her on via Nick um, on Christoph Koschel's blog and um, so I'm just not too sure which one she's taking but Isabel on any horse is always a threat so you know it'll be very interesting to see who and how and what happens when the dust settles after Rotterdam the Dutch uh, struggling a little bit with Edward not being on Totalus now he's on Sister de Joux again a very strong mare very very nice mare owned by Emmy de Joux You've got Hans Peter with Nadine, again, very seasoned performers. Parzaval with Adelinda Canellison, I saw them in Hickstead. Again, they're looking very strong, probably back to the form that they saw in the Europeans in Windsor. And then you have um, uh, Sander Marison, uh, who's a new inclusion to the team, with Imke Bartles being out because of um, Sunrise being uh, injured. So... Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting. But I know the Swedish look strong as well. Patrick Kittle, Tina Willemsen, they're looking very strong. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it'll be a great championship. So I wish I was there for it, actually. I'm just looking at your address and <laughs> some of the photos. And um, and uh, if, you, if people want to keep up to date, they can look at Euro Dressage and they can look at the, the Christoph Koschel website for the blogs. Christoph's doing a wonderful job in keeping people updated. Patrick Kittle also is doing a great job. Um, they can look on the FEI TV to watch the tests or um, I think there's a Dutch television station called Sport24.nl which are also covering apparently the Grand Prix and the Grand Prix Special. So, um, yeah, very I exciting time. direct as well and, and not forgetting all those riders that have fan pages on Facebook too, <laughs> Brett, because they're all posting updates there and, uh, you know, they'll, just, they'll be tweeting as well because people... Like uh, Carl, his, he tweets, and uh, Adeline and uh, uh, and uh, Ed Gall. A lot of them have Twitter accounts, and they they tweet about what they're doing, blow by blow accounts. So uh, you can always follow them on Twitter. Just go and search them on Twitter and find out firsthand what those riders are up to. Brad, it's it, I, I'm going to ask you now predictions. I mean, there's so many combinations there that are very capable of taking those medals. Um, who's uh, you know get your crystal ball out? Who's your favourites uh, for the team and individual medals? So I think the team. I'm tipping the team medal could be the Brits, 
gold, German silver, Dutch or Swedish for bronze. As far as individual, I can see Matthias <clears throat> probably being a bit too strong in the Grand Prix. Um, I can see Carl probably coming through and being very strong in the special, which I think really suits that horse. Um, and as far as the Kerr goes, I think uh, it comes down to artistic. I mean, it's hard to always measure there who has the best Kerr. I think Carl's realising that his Kerr needs to be beefed up a little bit for London, which he'll do. Um, I think the, the Kerr you're probably going to be seeing... Um, I'd say Totalus or Parzival probably having the better curves of um, of that group. I mean, it's very exciting to think that to be in the top five at that at that event and possibly even the top seven, you're going to have to be over 75%, which to a person like myself, uh, you know, after last year getting excited about making the top 10 in Kentucky, to now think about possibly making the top 10 in London, we're going to have to be above 75 is quite daunting and um, and just showing that the sport is getting stronger and bigger and the horses are getting better and the training is getting better and it's just getting from going from strength to strength. Yeah. So, um, Huge prospects, yeah. huge. I mean, it really ups the ante, doesn't it? Uh, you know. It does. It's competition at its best and um, it that's exactly what we want to see. I mean, that brings out the best in all of us. It certainly does. Well, very exciting, as you said, Brett. Uh, there's lots of ways to follow the European Championships. We will be reporting on them on next week's show, of course, and uh, hopefully um, Brett will come back and tell me he's won uh, a few dollars on the side for his predictions after the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need to do. We need to have a book, uh, somehow run some sort of gambling on the on the sport. That would bring in the masses. They'd all <laughs> want to watch it then. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And before we go, I want to tell you about a brand new initiative that we are welcoming as an affiliate to the Horse Radio Network, and that is the Professional Equine Grooms that's been started by Liv Good out in San Diego, California. And joining her to tell us about it is Max Corcoran, who's a regular contributor, a co-host on the eventing radio show, groom of Karen O'Connor, of course, the Olympian eventer. And uh, they're going to tell us, and starting with Max, uh, exactly what this new organization is all about and why we need it. Well, basically, the professional equine grooms, as a, as a professional groom myself, um, it is something, it's a website that has been started and, and created and passioned um, and it's a fantastic thing to be behind. Um, it's basically the British grooms have a website and a resource for themselves, and American grooms do not. And it's um, it's more of a resource. It's going to be a, um, a someplace for people to go to, someplace for people to get some answers and some help as well. Um, the professional equine grooms, it's a it's a, in its birth at the moment, but it's going to become big and it's going to become great. Um, basically, I've been doing some work for the Professional Riders Organization for eventing to start a grooms organization for them. Um, so this is a very, very exciting uh, time for, for grooms and, and for uh, us little people that, that get stuck behind the scenes sometimes. That's right. You're always backstage. Well, we're going to bring you out behind the curtain, Max, in a big way here on the show this weekend. <laughs> you are going to be on all three of the shows, as I said. And we're going to welcome now to the show the woman behind the professional rider, uh, professional grooms association who has started that website, Liv Good in uh, San Diego, California. Welcome to the show. 
Good morning, Chris and Max. I hope you guys are doing well. We we are. Max has, of course, Max is in the trenches, and I'm I keep my head above water, but but, but together we survive. You know, we we. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, well, welcome to the show, Liv, and welcome to the Horse Radio Network to be uh, not only an affiliate but one of our uh, media partners. It's great to have you on board, and 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 also uh, welcome to the world of web development because you're the woman behind the Professional Equine Grooms website. So you're a webmaster, you're a founder, you're a former groom. Room, and you have the support of Max Corcoran. What more do you want? Um, really, um, nothing. <laughs> I don't. I don't want anything more, except for maybe I think three or four hours every day, and an extra set of hands. Then I'm good. Um, well, well, yeah. it's, it's I think Max. we all wish for that too. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I think anybody in the horse industry wishes for that, um, whether you're a groom or not. Um, if you're around horses, you want extra hours and extra hands, that's for sure. Well, as Max said, you know, so often the grooms are backstage and uh, you are honestly, obviously on a mission here to bring them front and center to raise their profile. And uh, you came up with this website, which is a marvelous vehicle, of course. Now, nowadays, we have so many more communication and, and right. tools available to right. us. Tell us what drove that passion to, to, to be making this initiative for the grooms, Liv. Tell us what's behind it. Well, several years ago, and I'll, I'll background this little story with um, the fact that I do have a wonderful husband, and I am on his health insurance. Um, but several years ago, I was injured quite badly um, in an accident that was completely unrelated to horses, and I was unable to work. And it occurred to me that, you know, what if you're a groom and you don't have health insurance and you're injured either on the job or away from the job as I was, what resource do you have to fall back on? You, yeah, I mean, you have nothing. You have no, you know, association. You have no group health plan with other grooms across the country. You know, you're stuck. And I really wanted to change that. Um, and that starts with creating a place that grooms can go to for resources. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that this is going to be the end-all and be-all and what you need from your employer you can find here, but I wanted to create something that at least puts you in the right direction if you needed help with this or if you needed help with that, as long as it's related to your profession as a groom. Um, and in the meantime, you know, one of the biggest obstacles that I found in talking with grooms all over the country was that, you know, they're really, I think, on some level taken for granted. And they are so far behind the scenes, but they're so critical to getting a horse in a show ring or helping clients and helping trainers exercise and take care of these horses that I think they need a little bit more recognition. Well, Max, so you, you, yeah. you can speak to this, of course. I mean, what are the benefits for grooms out there that do employers know what their obligations are to grooms? You've witnessed this firsthand. I have. You know, I'm really, really lucky that I work for people that, uh, that really appreciate um, the, everybody that goes into the team. I mean, that's why they're called the O'Connor event team because the farrier is as important as our vet, as, a, as important as the grooms, as important as the, 
farm managers that mow the gallop as you know, everybody is an integral part of, of success in their eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I've been very, very lucky to be able to be a part of that. Um, but you see a lot of other places where people not necessarily, you know, a lot of the other grooms, sometimes they don't realize that you're supposed to, um, you know, not be being, being paid in cash. And then those with that being paid in cash, then they have to go and pay taxes and they don't really quite understand that. And, um, you know, because your employer doesn't want to have um, workman's compensation and yada, 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 and it goes on and on. So if you are hurt on the job, like you said, I mean, that's that's your livelihood. You you can't work and then you can't eat. So right. um, there's definitely, I wouldn't say it's not necessarily exploitation. There is a lot of that too. And then there's also, I think, some employers that don't necessarily know how they're supposed to go about it as well. Um, but yeah. I definitely think there is some people that don't necessarily have the knowledge. They don't know what to ask for. Um, per se. I mean, there's a lot of states where it's mandatory for a full-time employee to be getting the health insurance from their, from their uh, company. And so whether that company is, um, you know, an investment company or the company is uh, a stable, you know, it's still a company. Um, And so it's just sort of good to know those those details of of what you are not necessarily entitled to um, and that type of thing, but, you know, what, what you should be asking for. Well, Liv, you talked about this being a place for resources for grooms. What other resources do you plan on including on the website? Well, certainly there's going to be resources with, you know, how to do your job. Basically, and, you know, I'm a huge proponent of taking temperatures and knowing first aid because as a groom, you have to have the knowledge to know when something's not right with your horse and you need to know what the normal temperature and the resting heart rate and, and things like that are so that you can address medical issues and take care of, of basic first aid needs, you know, before a vet gets there. But some of those resources on the internet are incorrect. They're not consistent. Um, so I want to have a lot of knowledge based information so that if a groom is wondering, gosh, what are the four quadrants that I need to listen to to see if I've got gut sounds on this horse who's acting a little funny? I want to give them a place where they can go and get that. Um, I'd also like to give grooms a place to go look for jobs and to have trainers actively involved in, in posting job listings on my website and have this place be um, kind of the central place to go to find jobs and to find grooms to fill those jobs so resources like that. Um, additionally, additionally, later down the road, I'd like to have resources that, that could help employers out there, as in what are, um, you know, the legal requirements for hiring somebody, you know, salary versus hourly, you know, workman's compensation guidelines, things like that, how to get a group health insurance plan for your farm. The laws vary quite differently if you have an organization that is, that is over 50 employees or under 50 employees. So I would, I would venture to say that most barns and stables have fewer than 50 employees. So the guidelines really, really vary, but I'd like to have resources available, you know, where somebody could come and do some research about that. Um, there's also tons and tons of information about there about what substances test and what substances do not, but it depends on, of course, you know, are you going FEI or are you going USHJA or things like that? 
So those resources should also be on the website so that grooms can can educate themselves about um, what sort of supplements they're feeding and how far out from a show do they maybe need to talk to their vet about tapering dosages of something. So things like that that really are um, day-to-day you know, knowledge that grooms need to know. Well, Max, um, you know, for someone's in the trenches, what do you feel this website can do for you? I think a, a lot of it will be, um, you know, a lot of it is some networking. Um, a lot of times, you know, we travel, maybe there's a room in a different area that can help us with X, Y, and Z. I think um, it will definitely help answer some questions. If you have questions that need to be answered, um, like Liv said, just trying to figure out, um, does anybody know about, you know, the withdrawal time for this? Has anybody tried this supplement on that horse? I think that's a fantastic, um, it's a great opportunity for everybody to learn. I mean, I think that's one of the coolest things about our job is that we continuously get to learn more and more things. There's new technology, there's new supplements, some things are good, some things are bad. And it's actually kind of fun to be able to continue learning and knowing and stuff like that. So um, between that and then, you know, just trying to be able to help people, um, you know, trying to find jobs and to um, that type of thing. I think it's going to be a, just a great resource for a lot of people that maybe want to learn how to get into the industry. Maybe they don't want to ride, but they love horses. What can they do? What what kind of jobs are out there for them? And it's a it's a huge opportunity for, for so many people. Well, certainly yeah. lots of opportunities there for resources, as you say, from sound education, as you put it, to live there to giving you know good information, sound information, education from all aspects, from, from grooming, from young people coming into the profession, no matter which way they want to go. And, and, and also, to you know, if you're looking for a new opportunity and changing within the profession and all the other important aspects that maybe are not often addressed or, or maybe neglected in the workplace, too. They'll be able to go to uh, proequinegrooms.com. I want yeah. to welcome uh, you, as I said, again, Liv, to being uh, to a Horse Radio Network, to being uh, a new affiliate and a media partner. And Max, I believe uh, you're going to be joining Liv uh, for regular segments on the eventing radio show as part of the Pro Equine Grooms group. Yep, that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it. And there's, of course, opportunities for, um, you know, for more learning then and, you know, crossing the disciplines because I'm such a hunter-jumper and dressage girl that, um, you know, getting insight into other disciplines is certainly another resource that this website could offer. Well, hopefully we'll be able to get our arms around all of that, guys. I want to thank you both for joining us uh, this week and we look forward to working with you in the future with the Pro Equine Grims and the very best of luck with it, Liv. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate your time. Well, Brett, great to have you with me this week. Um, well, what's in store for you over the next few weeks? Um, more competitions, obviously. You've got, are you travelling to any clinics? Yeah, I have a few clinics booked, one in Brisbane next week, and um, but more so focusing on getting horses qualified for the championships towards the end of the year. I have some really nice young horses that I need to get qualified, um, concentrating on really trying to concentrate on what's happening here at home with my horses at the moment that's that's my number one thing and then I'll try and duck away and do a few clinics um, in the meantime just to keep the, the money coming in but um, otherwise and then trying to perhaps look at another trip to Europe very quick trip to Europe to try and get this horse through a Grand Prix somewhere Yes, well, good luck on all your travels, Brett, and uh, thank you again for keeping me company this week. We'll circle back around and, uh, and catch up with you in a few weeks' time. 
No, a pleasure, Chris. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. Terrific. Well, thanks again to Brett, to all our guests this week, Tony Venhouse, of course, uh, as well, for joining us from New South Wales. Don't forget you can check out all our links on our website at dressageradio.com. And uh, and don't forget also I'm still looking for young reporters. If you're under 20 years of age and want to report on your show, wherever you are in the world, just send me an email, chris at horseradionetwork.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter too, along with all the other riders. You can follow us at Horse Radio and you can also follow Chris E. Stafford. And uh, any comments, quens- comments, questions or suggestions, Questions, send those over to me, Chris at HorseRadioNetwork.com. Well, that wraps it up for this week. And again, thanks to everybody uh, for joining us around the world. I will be back same time, same place next week. So until then, thank you for listening.